0: All right, so that after two days is, is, is referencing the time that Jesus spent in Sychar, the, the town of the woman at the well. And so if you've been with us, you know the story that Jesus is on his way from Jerusalem back up to Galilee, and he takes this path that leads him through Samaritan territory, and there he encounters this woman at the well. And That's where we've been, it's an incredible exchange. And so when, when she leaves her water jar and goes back into town and begins to tell people about what Jesus has told her that causes people to come out and want to hear from Jesus themselves. So Jesus says, you know what? I'll hang here. We'll, we'll teach for a while. So he stays there for a couple days, and, and you've seen last week that many believed because of what she said, and then many began to believe not only because of what she said, but because Jesus was, was there teaching them. So it's interesting. Keep that in mind. He didn't actually do any miracles there. He did prophesy and call that woman's history out, right, and deal with her sin, but he didn't do any miracles there, and that's going to help us understand a little bit of why this text is set up the way that it is. And so, two days there in Saqqara, and now he's going to go on about his journey, continue um, the, you know, the, the, the route that he had set out to get back to Galilee. Uh, but it's interesting uh, it says in verse 44, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And so what is that about? Well, uh, some people get really hung up on, is it this hometown? Is it homeland? Is it a specific city? Is it Nazareth? Is it, what's he talking about? I, I think what is being referenced here is, is this transition from Samaritan territory. Okay, so non-Jewish territory. So when he says his own hometown, I think he's talking about the Jewish people, the Jewish territory. So he's been in Samaria, this, this place that isn't Jewish territory, and, and they actually accepted him with incredible um, um, belief, and that town is transformed. And so that is in view here, and when he says for Jesus is, himself has testified that a prophet doesn't have honor in his own hometown. So he's headed back to where he's from, for where he grew up, and, but more importantly, the people that are God's people, the Jews. Salvation is from the Jews. He's just had this conversation with the Samaritan woman, and now he's headed back there. So why does he say that a prophet has no honor in his hometown? Well, it's interesting. What, what he's talking about, I think, is referenced um, and, and is tied in to this um, introductory portion of John. Uh, this is kind of wrapping up the, the the launch of Jesus's ministry, the kind of the first stage. And if you will remember back in chapter two, if you just flip over there, it won't be on the screen. But if you just flip over to chapter two, <clears throat> verse twenty-three and twenty-five, after Jesus cleanses the temple, there's this interesting little insertion of these few verses. And we've referenced it a lot, but if you're trying to read it in flow, it doesn't always make a ton of sense. But it's interesting. After Jesus has changed water into wine at Cana, and then he goes to the temple and cleanses the temple in the famous temple scene where he's turning over tables and makes a whip, it says this in in chapter 2. Now, when he was at Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And, and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. Okay, so that is said about the reception that he gets in Jerusalem um, following the authoritative cleansing of the temple, following some other signs and wonders. People are receptive to him, right? It says many believed in his name when they saw what? The signs that he was doing. But Jesus doesn't entrust himself to them. So there's this distinction of a people that begin to um, like what Jesus is doing and like being there for the show and the the you know the the signs and the wonders but it's not the same as the people who are truly believing in Jesus' name that he is actually um, entrusting himself to and dwelling his his presence into their body. So there's this distinction that's happening between a people who kind of have this shallow interest in Jesus and in his work. And you see these people all throughout the gospels. We'll see Jesus um, basically run them off in chapter six after the, the feeding of the 5,000. They'll gather again and, um, and Jesus will be like, y'all just here for another meal, aren't you? Right? And he's like, this is not how the show works. We're not here to do shows. We're here for eternal life, and they, and, and then he goes, "You got to eat my body and drink my blood." And they're like, "Peace." That's weird, <laughs> right? And Jesus lets him go. And so, over and over again, we see that Jesus doesn't capitulate to just gathering a crowd. He's not for just gaining his influence. He walks away. We saw that he started this journey because, uh, like, he he leaves Jerusalem initially because he's baptizing and John's baptizing, and people are starting to t- notice and talk about how he's baptizing more people than John. So what does Jesus do? He leaves. He's like, I'm not here to gather this crowd. I'm not here to leverage this influence. And he, No, he, he leaves. He has a particular mission. And so when he says here, okay, I'm going to go to Galilee. And it's interesting. He says, but I'm going to go because. Actually, so your translations will be important here. Because some of your translations won't have the first part of chapter, or verse 44 where it says, for or therefore, Um, and and this is interesting because it seems that Jesus is saying this is the very reason he is going to Galilee because he doesn't have any honor there. That's interesting. I don't know about you. I don't tend to be eager to go where people don't like me. Right? If you know you're not going to get a great reception and you can avoid that place, it's probably what you're going to do, right? So what is Jesus doing saying, hey, I don't have any honor in my hometown, but that's where I've got to go. All of that's a little bit of context, but what's interesting, you've got to hold this in view when we go to verse 45. Now, I think the parentheses are added by editors at a later point. I don't think these were, uh, you know, John's originally. I think it's trying to make sense of this a bit, but but it's noteworthy there. But verse 45 goes, okay, so there's no honor in his hometown, but then when he gets to his own hometown, what happens? The Galileans welcomed him. I thought there wasn't any honor. Jesus, what 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 is going on? Like we have to let this, like we gotta wrestle this to the ground before we can get to the healing of the official son. Because this is setting up um, what Jesus is doing and the particular movement of his good news and the gospel to a people who actually, man, this, this is so telling, even of what. John said in chapter 1, whenever he says he's come to his own, he's come into the world, he's come to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. Okay, So all of this is coloring that. So Jesus says, I gotta, I'm going to go into to Galilee, but the prophet, I'm not going to get any honor there. But then when he shows up, he's getting welcomed. He's getting, it seems, some form of honor. But it is helpful to keep reading because they welcomed him having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So why are they welcoming him? Well, because he's got some popularity now. Got a little bit of celebrity status now, right? And so now there's this sort of buzz. Oh, this is our hometown boy. What's up, Jesus? Hey, man, like, let me buy you dinner. Hey, what are you doing tonight? We want to bring you over. Like, it's this buzz about, oh, this is is our guy. Like, people are buzzing about Jesus. Let me latch on to him. Right, you know this pool, you know this draw of like when somebody that you know does something, and and it gets noticed by a bigger stage. We're all kind of quick to make sure that everybody knows we know them, aren't we? Like we kind of have this like, oh well, I want to make sure y'all. Did you know I went to school with him? Did y'all know I sat across a hibachi table from them one time? Right, so we we like point these things out, and that's sort of what's happening here. There's this shallow. Excitement about Jesus as he comes back into his home hometown because people are starting to hear, Oh our little our, our Jesus is doing some things right he's people are talking about him Let, let's make sure that we we kind of shower so that's this sort of juxtaposition of people that have this shallow interest in Jesus right and it's interesting it, John makes note to say that the reason they welcomed him is because they had seen all that they had done, that he had done in Jerusalem. So they, they went to the feast too, right? So this culture, they, they traveled to Jerusalem for the, the religious feast and then they'd have to go back home. So they were there, they heard. Oh, so now they're excited to have Jesus back in their midst. And, and so that, this is the welcome that's happening. But you've got to keep it in mind from what he's just left in the non-Jewish region of Samaria. The people who were, for the the Jews, viewed the Samaritans as religious idolaters and and ethnic half-breeds and really filthy people that if they could stay away from, that was their preference. And yet when Jesus was there, he is received. So much so that he teaches and people continue to believe. And so with, with really, with no miracles. Yes, he called out this woman's history. He dealt with her sin. But he didn't, he didn't change water into wine at in Sychar, right? He, he didn't do, like, and so Jesus comes in now. He comes to Cana, verse 46, in Galilee, where he had made the water into wine. So he's back, chapter 2 started in Cana. It's his first sign, John tells us, is whenever he's at the wedding and he changes water into wine. So it's back in that place, right? The same town. And a man comes from Capernaum, right? And so a neighboring city, a few miles away, um, a, a rough trek from what I've heard, but not super far away. And, and he comes and uh, this man is an official and his son is ill. And so when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. So Here's a people, and Jesus is saying, I got no real honor here. People aren't really interested in salvation here. They're interested in shallow signs and miracles. See, signs and miracles, as we're gonna see, are always meant to point us to Jesus, not to be the end of itself. Okay? So just this is not really the point of the sermon, but it's just a side note as we as we move into a section where we're going to see Jesus do a lot of signs and a lot of healings, we should never be a people who start seeking those in and of themselves. We are people who are seeking and chasing after Jesus, and as we seek and chase after Jesus, signs and wonders and healings often follow. So that challenges both sides of charismatic theology, doesn't it? Because there's some churches that all they want is that experience and that, that you know, that <clears throat> those healings, those, like, we, we just want these, these crazy experiences. And there's other churches that are nervous about any hint of an experience. Goodness, like five people raised their hands in that church. we got to keep our eye on them. Right? And so we're like, no, just the Bible, no experiences. Well, the challenge is both of that. We're, we're not after experiences, we're after Jesus. When we follow Jesus, he does stuff, stuff that we can't explain, stuff that causes us to believe in him. okay so that's the context that's that's what we're going to see as we move through John here. but for this people, <clears throat> it's interesting. here comes this man. this man is 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 of this people, like he's from this town he, he he lives there, but all we know about him is he is an official. So that word uh in in the in the Greek connotates like royalty of some sense, right? And so uh, it could be somebody who's of a, of a you know, royal bloodline, uh, and officially it references some kingship, and so the only king in the area is Herod Antipas, and so it's probably something to do with him. It could be a family member who has you know blood lineage there, or it could, it, it, it could also be translated into a servant of the royal um, household. And so one of those is true. It it could be a Jew who is serving there in Herod's Herod's household. It could be a Roman. It could be a Greek, like, you know, a a Gentile that's serving there. Um, But nonetheless, it is going to serve as an additional category of people who need Jesus. Okay, so we've seen Nicodemus, the epitome of the good Jew. And he comes to Jesus and Jesus says, yeah, you need to be born again. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter about your religious reputation. You've got to be born again. We've seen now the woman who is written off by every societal standard who has no chance of being saved. And guess what? Not only does she need Jesus, but she gets to come to Jesus. And now we're going to see this man who is a man of power and influence and, and you know, in this, this position of authority in some regard. Maybe he's a Gentile, maybe he's a Jew. But he also needs Jesus. John is putting these stories together uh, intentionally to, to make sure that what we see Jesus doing is going to all of the world, going to all of the people groups, both ethnically, both societally, like economic categories, moral categories, like all people need Jesus. And so we have a tendency to think, okay, I'm a pretty good person. Maybe like, I might need a little help, but I don't really need salvation or whatever. John is challenging that consistently. But that's all we know about this person. Let's look at the, how Jesus engages him. So this man comes, and he hears that Jesus is there, and he says, man, like, we got to think he's probably exhausted all of his options. Um, I, I don't know how often you think about, like, modern medicine and how, you know, blessed we are to just be able to, like, go to the doctor and get a prescription and go pick it up in the same day. Uh, it's not the world they're living in. It's not the world that really a lot of our world lives in today. Um, and so we don't know what was going on with his son. He's got, there's a fever involved, but we don't know much more than that. But he's near death, right? So n- none of the other options has worked. So this guy hears that Jesus is coming. He, hears, he knows Jesus has done some things. And so he's like, I got, like, maybe he can help my son. And so he goes. He makes the journey. He comes to Jesus. And he goes to him and asks him, will you come? You come back to Capernaum and heal my son because he's at the point of death. Interesting, verse 48, Jesus says, this is how he responds to a a grieving on the brink father. You need to hear this. You need to set in the story. You're just reading it like a religious person. You're going to go, okay, cool. Jesus did a cool sign. But is this how you would respond to a father who has tears in his eyes? who is fearful that his son is going to not make it? What does Jesus say? Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That's not a compassionate response. Right? Like, that's, what is Jesus doing there? Because again, I don't think that's how any of us would respond. Whether we could do something about his son or not, whether we intended to do something about his son or not, I don't think that's how we would respond. Calling out this lack of faith, saying, you people, you you just got to have signs and wonders. That's the only way you'll believe. Here you are again asking for it. But it's interesting. Jesus does respond to him because it says that in verse 48 at the beginning. He's responding to him. But when he says, you... Most of you, your Bibles will have a footnote that lets you know that that you is plural in the original language. So he's responding to the man, but he's, he's including the man in a people more broadly and generally back to these people that are of his hometown who have no honor, who only are interested in the signs of wonder. He's kind of grouping them in. So it's a plural you. So he's responding to the man, but with a plural you, still not Super compassionate, but at least he's not just calling this guy out, he's including him in this bigger conversation, because no doubt there's a crowd here at this point, and so he's looking beyond and saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, what is what is Jesus doing here? Why? I, I, I think, um, I was really helped by Pastor John Piper, as I often am studying the scriptures, but... Um, I think this is right. And he puts this forward, and I think this makes sense. Jesus does this one other time with a woman, uh, the Syrophoenician woman that comes to him, um, kind of gives her this harsh answer uh, to her need. He says, Is it right to uh, you know, cast the, the royal food before dogs? And there's a paraphrase there, but it's kind of harsh because Jesus responds so compassionately to so many people, right? It's kind of harsh. But I think he was testing her, because she say she says, "Yeah, that's true." But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off the table. And so in that, he's sort of testing her faith, saying, "Is she just like what? Wh- where is she with this? Is she just here to try to get a, pe- or is she desperate, longing for salvation?" And she goes, "Yeah, yeah, um, that's true. I just need a crumb." And Jesus heals her. Jesus grants her request at that moment. I think this is a similar thing that Jesus is doing. So you could see, is he grouping this official in with everybody else? Is he sort of assuming he's like that, or is he testing it, or is he going to use this guy as, as an example of what genuine faith looks like? We don't really know, but, but there's all of those dynamics happening here, and Jesus says, to this man whose son is about to die, a genuine request. And I'm sure Jesus is already getting a lot of those. It's an increasing amount of request for healing as he goes through his ministry. But nonetheless, this is how he responds. you got to have signs and wonders, don't you? Otherwise, you won't believe. Okay. So I think he's sort of plurally you know, addressing the, the group, but I think it's to see how is this man going to respond. And I want you to listen to this. Verse 49. The official said to him, Sir... Come down before my child dies. Okay. So much like the Syrophoenician woman that just says, yeah, but even the dogs get to eat crumbs. She's just like, yeah, I'm sure that's true. Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm a, I've been shallow. I've looked at you so poorly before, just about the signs and wonders. I didn't listen when I heard the prophecies before, but I, my kid's going to die. Right? And, and so he doesn't argue, he doesn't posture up, he doesn't defend himself. He simply says, sir, come. Would you please come before my child dies? And it's interesting, Jesus said to him, verse 50, go. Your son will live. This is incredible. Je- Jesus is, I think, 17 miles away. And a good bit of elevation, I think, I think I saw like 1,300 feet of elevation is going to be, um, you know, dividing Capernaum and Canaan. Go. Your son will live. Now, listen. How's this guy going to respond? Because here's, like, he has no reason, he has no physical evidence to know whether what know whether this guy's done anything, whether his son's actually going to live. There's no cell phones. He can't FaceTime back home and see if the, the kid gets any better, see if he needs to keep pestering Jesus or not. Well, look at what's at stake here for this man in this moment, because if he, if he just leaves like Jesus just told him to do, and his son isn't healed, it is very likely that there, will be not time, there won't be time to seek another option for treatment for his son. If if Jesus isn't who he says he is, or who this man is hoping that he is, this guy's likely not going to see his son again. Probably even by the time he gets home, he might be dead. And like this is what's at stake. And at the other side of that, what if he like if he chooses to not believe Jesus' simple words and, and stays and pesters him? How many of y'all are in that category? Okay, cool. But could you just come? Like, I'm sure you did that, but just in case, maybe it didn't work. Maybe the angels get distracted, they don't get that word there. Like, could you just go ahead and come? That'd be me. All right, appreciate it, Jesus. I know you're busy, like maybe I can compensate your trip or something, but like we can you just go with me, please? Like, my son's dying. I need you to lay your hands on him. I heard you can lay hands on people. Can you do that, please? But if he stays and begs, Jesus. What's at stake there, right? Like he if he does that, now he's not he doesn't he's not obeying this man and what and so this is what's going on in this moment. Jesus says, Go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. It's incredible. As he was going down, right? So we're going to see how the story pays out, but I just want you to feel that in this moment. He, he, there is belief in this man that transcends the shallow honoring and welcoming that the people there in the crowd have come for Jesus. So I, I think Jesus was testing this man, or he's going to use his, uh, you know, as an example. This is a people who have just come to see, what's Jesus going to do next? You guys got your tickets to the Jesus show? Man, I could really use some water turned into wine for my wedding. Maybe we can make friends and he could come to my wedding. And, like, this is the buzz that's happening. And Jesus says, that's a shallow view of what I've come to offer. And this man, he includes him. Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe, will you? And that guy, i I just picturing his face full of tears. Like, I don't know. what. I don't know about that theological debate, Jesus. I don't know about these people, but if, like, My son's going to die. There's a desperation for him. Listen, do you think that this guy has done anything for his reputation to leave the royal household and to go travel to a poor town called Cana? Remember, we talked about Cana's a little bitty town. And go ask a homeless guy to help him with his son? This man has put his pride, he has put his reputation aside for the sake of his son. He is in a desperate place. It no longer matters to him what status, what what glory, what honor he has. He is here because if, if something doesn't give, his son will die and he is desperate. And Jesus says, go, your son will live. And this guy believed him. And it is that belief that Jesus is inviting people to. It's that. That's what Jesus is after. It's that kind of belief that takes him at his word and that goes all in in faith. If you will track the the narrative of the whole Bible, it is this kind of faith that God is inviting each and every one of his beloved children to. From the moment I mean, you you can go all the way to Adam and Eve in the garden. You can go to Noah. um, Noah, building an ark. Study that. Don't make no sense, right? Why are you building an ark, Noah? We're not close to any water. It ain't raining, bro. Right? Then you got Abraham. God shows up and says, hey, Abraham, Abram, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. He's like, I don't know if you've noticed, it's just me and old Sarah. (laughs) Nothing great happening here. God goes, yeah, I know I got this. Will you believe me? Will you believe in me? And go. Go. Pack up your, your family and go to the land that I'll show you. This is even giving the final destination. He doesn't even have the coordinates. Just go. And it is that Abraham's response that he believed God. That's what's counted to him as righteousness, where he goes, okay. And he goes, much like this guy. Okay, I'm going to go. I don't know what that was like, him walking away, tears in his eyes. I, if you're a parent, man, this is this is harsh. This is intense, right? Okay, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to go. It is, this is the faith that God is inviting his people to. After Abraham's people become a great nation, as God said that they would, then they're in Egypt and then they're in captivity and slavery and man, they're crying out because they're being abused and it's a harsh life and God g- rescues them out and he does incredible things. He shows miracles and signs, right? And, and he gets them out of Egypt and then they get to the Red Sea and they're going to die and he says, no, no, I got you. Just, just believe. I got you. And he parts the Red Sea, and they walk through, and then after they're all through, the Egyptian army is crushed in the Red Sea, and God says, okay, this is how we're going to do things. I'm going to show up for you like this. You need to trust me like this. We're going to the promised land. It's going to be awesome. Will you go? Will you trust me? They go. They get there. People are big. People are scary. They're like, "Uh uh-uh, we ain't doing that. God's going, you're missing out. You're missing out because you're not trusting me. You're missing out because you're not, you're not seeing the bigger picture. Caleb and Joshua are going, no, no, no. This is what he's been, he's been showing us. that He'll take care of this. Let's just go. Let's, let's, let's enjoy the blessing that God wants to give us. And they're, they're going, no, no, no way. We'll kill you. Shut your mouth. But here, this man is not unlike that. And, and Jesus is not unlike Moses, leading his people out of slavery. In fact, he's a lot like Moses. He's the new and better Moses. He has come to bring his people not out of slavery to Egypt, but out of slavery to sin. And he's come showing himself trustworthy by doing miracles, by healing people, by teaching authoritatively. But the miracles aren't the point. They're there to prove that he's trustworthy to point us to something deeper. And this man responds with faith. He believes in Jesus, and he walks away. It's incredible. He doesn't have any assurance in that moment. But listen to what happens next. He's on his way. He's going back down. He's going back to Capernaum. And on his way, he meets his servants, and they tell him, hey, I, I don't know what you, I, like, don't worry about, you know, don't worry about it. Your son's getting better. Like, I don't know what they know at that point, but they say, hey, your, your son's getting better. And so he goes, okay, when did that start? Can you imagine this? Can you imagine this man that his son's at the point of death. Jesus goes, go, your son will live. And he just reluctantly walks away. Okay, I'll trust you. And as he's going down, I mean, how many times do you think he second-guessed that? Goodness, what if he's not right? What if I lose? And then he sees his servants. What do you think he thought in that moment when he sees them coming to him? Oh, no, they've come with bad news. There's another story like that. But in this moment, they get to him and they say, hey, he's getting better. (laughs) the, The relief that has to come, right? The rejoicing that Jesus has done, what he said he would do. It's awesome. And he goes, Hey, just curious, when? When did he start getting better? And they were like, ah, Yesterday at one? Can you imagine the smile that creeps over his face when he was like, Yeah, it was one yesterday when Jesus told me to go and my son would live. It's amazing that he, he has no proof that what Jesus says is going to come true, but he believes anyway. And then he gets this assurance. And he goes, Verse fifty three, I knew it. Like that's when Jesus said it would happen. And he himself believed. You're like, well, well, he already believed. Yeah, he had been born again. Yeah, he had put his faith and trust in Jesus. But at this moment, he's like, oh no, this is like, he really does what he says he's going to do. Like, I'm all in. Like, it's this belief that we, like, this is true for us. You know what? You don't understand this, that that we don't just come to Jesus once and cry out for salvation and then we just kind of live our life. No, we have belief that saves us. We are in with Jesus. But you know what? We have to continue to come back to faith and to belief over and over and over again the gospel is not just for you to get saved from your sins and then wait till heaven it's not just the abcs of christianity as the late tim keller used to say it's the a through z of christianity we have to continually come back to believing in jesus we, that's why we come to communion every week that's why we preach the gospel every week because we know that you're i'm inclined to forget i'm inclined to think that yeah but maybe yeah this and no he believes it's not like he lost his salvation. It's not a second salvation. No, he's, he's, his faith is increasing. He's believing again. He's, he's continually believing on the word of Jesus. And this leads to his whole household getting saved. Of course it does, doesn't it? The celebration that his son has been made well, that it happened when Jesus just spoke it from 17 miles away. His wife, his kids, any, any people that ha- were working in his house, they all believe. They all get saved. This is what Jesus is after. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Judea to Galilee. This is what he's after. Not shallow people who are interested in the miracles, but people who go all in in belief, all in with Jesus. So what sort of relationship do you have with Jesus? Is yours the type that just shows up when it benefits you? When you're around other people, you know, that you you want to be accepted by and they're talking about church, right? Then all of a sudden you're real tight with Jesus. I've known of people that literally go to church because it's good for their business here in, in Bible Belt culture. A guy that was wrestling with his faith. It's like, I don't like, I don't want it to get out that I'm wrestling with maybe being an atheist, because it's not good for business here. That's an extreme example, but man, this idea of Jesus is my homeboy. Right? No. He won't be anybody's homeboy. He's either your Lord or he's not. Right? Like, what kind of relationship do you have with Jesus? Is it Is it that type that you, man, when it's convenient or when you are desperate or, you know, like, you go to him then, but you, what is that? I don't There's a song out by a terrible guy named Jelly Roll right now about, like, this. He's kind of singing about it. Like, if I'm only crying out whenever I, when I need something, like, why should I be saved? Like, he's kind of laying this very thing out. What kind of relationship do you have with Jesus? Is it just this cultural thing like, yeah, we're we're Christians here. We're Americans. We're good people. Of course, I'm a Christian. You're just kind of a fan of Jesus. You're just kind of, you'll you'll, you'll acknowledge him. I I follow this guy named Jocko Willink. Like, He's just a big meathead of a guy that talks about leadership and stuff. He's an ex-Navy SEAL, and people just love listening to him. He's really intense. I'm not endorsing him, but I'm entertained by him and encouraged by him in some ways, but I, he was at the airport the other day, and he's on Twitter. He's like, hey, I got some time. Shoot me some questions, and, and, and one person was like, do you believe that Jesus is Lord? And he was like, yes, and this guy sent a gift. like, yes, yes, yes. Like He gets excited that Jocko believes in Jesus. I'm like, listen, I love Jocko. I don't see any fruit of him following Jesus, but there's this excitement of like, yeah, J- Jocko acknowledged Jesus. He's on our team. Mm, I don't know. I hope he is, but It's not just because he said yes on Twitter, right? Jesus Jesus is calling out these people who have this shallow faith in him. And he's saying, no, no, I'm inviting you to something better. So is yours one of shallow just when it benefits you? Or is yours of faith in a relationship of deep belief and dependence? Knowing, like this man knew, that he's our only hope. And he's the only hope of those that we love. Is he your everything? And here's the incredible grace of all of this. He doesn't lay these categories out to merely divide the two types of people and categorize them into the shallow people who are just there for the signs, right? So he can just put them over there and, you know, going to be done with them. No. Look at what he does. He's acknowledging that they're there, that this is the kind of reception that he's going to get when he goes back to his, his hometown. And what does he do anyway? He goes. He goes there. He goes to them. It was his whole mission. It, John said it. Chapter one He was sent to the world. The world did not receive him, but he came anyway. He came. He came and gave himself away, came to show the glory of God to a desperate world as in desperate need. But not only does he go to them, he points out that they require signs and wonders because of their shallow faith. And yet, what does he do? He gives them another sign. John literally says, this was the second sign he'd done in Galilee. He does it anyway. He's he's saying, man, it's frustrating that i got to do this for you to believe. I was just talking and teaching and unpacking the scriptures to the people in Sychar, those Samaritans that you hate, and they were receiving me in true belief. I come to you guys. You're supposed to be my people. You have the whole history of God moving in your life as as Israelites, and yet i got to do these signs and wonders. But... He does them. He does them. This is grace, undeserved grace. And this is what he's inviting us to. So I've tried to call some of you out for having this shallow engagement with Jesus, that you're you're in with Jesus as long as he can do something for you. But I'm not, Jesus isn't interested in just calling you out for the sake of it. He's pointing that out so that he can invite you to move from that category to the category of the official that's just like, I'm desperate. It doesn't matter where I'm from or what this is about, or it, no, I'm just desperate. I need a savior. That's the grace of Jesus. It doesn't matter. Like he's not just here to mock that and point. No, no, he's, he's here to invite. The Galilean people into further depth, further faith, so that they could be saved in a way that goes well beyond just what benefits them and the miracles and the signs. This is what Jesus is inviting them to, and this is what he's inviting us to. So where are you at with that? Do you receive his word? And go, okay, I don't know what that's going to mean for me. I don't know how the bills are going to add up. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know. I don't know what people are going to think of me. But if Jesus has said it, I'm all in. Or is it, hmm, that's cool. I'll do church. Like, I'm okay with that. But I'm going to get too close. Where are you at with that? Would you consider that as we pray? Father, I'm relying on your Holy Spirit to come and to help each one of us see how we have responded to you thus far. For those of us who have had a shallow experience with you, we show up to church because it's what we do. It's what our parents wanted us to do. It's, It's whatever man, I'm so grateful that you don't leave us there, that you don't run us out of the space, but instead you invite us to look and to see and to come and trust, come and believe. I pray that those sorts of transformations would happen here today. You would call us as your people into deeper belief and trust in you, that we would be a people who have read the Word of God. We've seen you work in our life, and now we bring our every need before you. We come desperate realizing we can't do anything, not just the big stuff that we need you for, but we can't do anything without you. It is in that full dependence, that desperation, that poorness of spirit where we find life so I pray that that would increase this morning in each of us and in those that have maybe never experienced it at all. Would you come and start? It's in your name we pray, Jesus.